You know, I, I um, was thinking about having Daniel up here, and I remember years ago when we, um, when we started the church and kind of had a vision for, uh, as a church, of what we could do as the body of Christ to come alongside of um, back-to-back and, um, and how we could impact our world. And we thought, maybe we should, we should start an orphanage. Or, and we thought, no, nah, let's, just, let's just let's start a new location. Let's start a new place. Uh, for back-to-back ministries, and it was really all of you, so many of you who um, who stepped up and, and sacrificed and, and prayed and gave and went to Nigeria, and, uh, and now we see the, the fruit of that labor, um, all the amazing things that have been done in Nigeria. I won't go into all of them, but you know, even the well drilling, 130 or so wells have been drilled, serving hundreds of thousands of people. And Daniel's investing in the lives of children there and, and families and helping them be, you know, get the opportunity to live out their purpose. And uh, I just love, was at the back-to-back banquet last night, sitting there with 1,200 other people. And, and just to see what God has done um, in the lives of so many people, and it's just overwhelming. You know, I was saying in my prayer that you know God woke me up at three o'clock this morning to pray for this particular service, and I just believe that He's going to speak to our hearts in a very powerful way. And it's interesting if you listen to the songs. We're talking about redemption this morning. If you listen to the songs, the the, the sermon started, you know, about twenty minutes ago. Um, all those songs reflected what I'm going to be talking about this morning, and it's just really exciting. Um, I want to say one other quick thing, actually two, um, kind of a family discussion really quick. Uh, it's the end of the year, and God has truly blessed us this year. You saw what we were able to do with this campus, um, and I have nothing but wonderful feelings and excitement about how you have invested your time, your talents, your, your resources into the church. It's November and December, and to be honest with you, those are the two months that make or break a budget. So I want to encourage you to be thinking about your year-end giving and all the things that we can do, not only here in our church, in our community, in our nation, and around the world, but I'm excited about 2015, and, and much of that depends on, much of this year depends on, Making the budget depends on November and December. So I really just want to encourage you with that. We don't pass the offering plate around at Grace Chapel. Uh, we never have, so you don't have to feel uncomfortable that here comes the plate now. Uh, this is just a family discussion talking to you about the needs that we have for the end of the year, so just be mindful of that. The other thing I want to talk to you about is there's times in the sermon that I say, get it, and you say, and I say, good. Okay, so just keep that in mind because we're going to be doing that this morning a little bit. I am really excited about this sermon. I'm excited about this series. We're still in a series called This Is My Community. And for the last four weeks, we've been talking about the idea of identity. We need to understand who we are. Every single one of us in this room, we need to understand who we are if we're going to live in a truly authentic community. Right? Because we need to know each other. We need to understand each other. And I said it the last couple of weeks, how on earth can I get to know you if you don't know who you are? How can you get to know me if I don't know who I am? We've been using Paul's letter to the Ephesians to help us find out who we are, our true, our, really our true selves. We said that Paul broke the book of Ephesians down into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6. Now, Paul was writing to a group of people in Ephesus who were 
who were beginning to slide back into some old habits. So he's writing to them because he's concerned about the direction of their faith. He's hearing this. He's been, he was there for a couple of years and he's hearing that they're trying to slide back into some old bad habits, if you will, old sinful habits. So he wants to change the direction of their faith, but he deals with it in a very unexpected way, very unexpected way. He's more concerned about their thoughts than he is their actions. And for good reason, because ultimately our thoughts dictate our actions. Our thoughts dictate our actions. So Paul wants to remind them of who they are. And he realizes if I can remind these people of who they are, it will change the direction of their of their sinful pattern. It will change the way they're acting, It will change the way they're beginning to beginning to live. He understands a change of mind is a change of heart. and A change of heart is a change of attitude and the negative patterns of behavior. So in the first three chapters, In the very first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul begins to build the foundation of their identity. He wants to remind them of who they are and he builds the foundation for their identity, but our identity as well. He's writing the letter to to the people in Ephesus, but he's writing this letter to us as well. This is God's letter to us, describing to us who we are. Who are we? We walk around sometimes and we behave the way we behave because we don't truly know who we are. So we get led around by different people where, you know, we're over here doing this and we change a little bit over here and we forget a little bit about what we were, what we were taught and we slide back into different patterns. We backslide a little bit. And so what we want to do is we want to focus our attention on what Paul is trying to help us to do, which is understand who we are. Last week we said, that Paul uses three images to help us understand who we are. Adoption, redemption, right? And sealing. Last week we talked about adoption, how God adopted us into his family. This morning I want to talk about redemption. That's our second point, redemption. The term redemption seems like a really weighty theological term. But that word is used um, as a, a trade word. To redeem means to buy out. It means to buy back. When you redeem something, you're buying it out. You're buying it back. That's what redemption is. And it's very interesting. The term was used specifically in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom. That's what that word means. It means to purchase a slave's freedom, to buy back. I find that extremely interesting. The fact that Paul applies it. To Jesus Christ's death on the cross is extremely revealing and theologically extremely important. He's using this word redemption to buy back, to buy out. If we are redeemed, that means our prior condition then is one of slavery. That every single one, before we were redeemed, before we were adopted into God's family, our prior condition before that was one of slavery. We were in slavery. God purchased our freedom. He purchased our freedom by Christ's death on the cross. And we are no longer in bondage to sin. I'm no longer in bondage to sin. My old way of life no longer has the power over me that it once had. When I, when I was in that, when I, we live in a fallen world and when we don't have that relationship with Christ, we are bound to be, we are enslaved to that sinful nature and it has control pretty much of our lives. 
But when God purchased us, when he bought us, when he redeemed us, that old way of life no longer has the power to control your life. You can still let it if you want to. But you are now filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ living in you. And that no longer has the ultimate power in your life. My past no longer dictates my destiny. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, something miraculous happened. He now is in control of my destiny. People will say, you know, we're made up, you know, if, you know, we, we, we have our, our uh, you know, way we grew up in our past and we're, we're, we're likely to be this way genetically and all these kinds of things. They'll tell you it's your past and it's, it's your genetics and that's what makes up who you are. And I'm going to tell you right now, those things do have an impact on your life. But when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, something else happened. The Holy Spirit took residence in your heart. And the Holy Spirit overcomes genetics and overcomes environment. So you are, you are no longer bound to live out the same pattern as maybe your relatives in the past. You are now free to become the person that God has created you to be. So let's see how Paul uses it in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. He says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. We have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed. I have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now last week I said that we need to read this letter to the to Ephesus we need to read this letter to the Ephesians through through first century eyes not through 21st century eyes and in order for us to do that we need to really gain an understanding of what Paul was dealing with what what he had to experience in that time now Ephesus was one of the largest slave trades okay in 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 the Roman world It was one of the largest places where slaves were being traded in the Roman world. It was unbelievable. It was overwhelming. And Paul was writing, he was writing this letter to a slave culture, if you will. It's like this this was a huge part of their economy. A huge part of their economy. Much like when we had slavery, but a lot worse. But much like we had slavery in our own country, it was tied to the economy. That's why people were so reluctant to give it up. It was a part of the culture. It was a part of the economy. This was a huge part of the economy. In the marketplace, the Agora and Ephesus, you, had, you could go there and you could buy spices. And you could buy, you could buy beautiful cloth. And you could buy all the, the latest fashions in Rome. But you could also buy something else in the marketplace. You could buy people. You could buy people by the thousands. So this was, a, this was a slave culture. If you study the slave trade of Ephesus, you will find that from the first century B.C. to the second century A.D., I'll tell you, Ephesus was at the center of the slave trade of the Roman Empire. Listen, I, I was studying this this week again. 25% of the population were slaves. 25% of the people who lived in Ephesus were slaves. This was a massive group of people. And, and Paul knew this before he wrote this letter. Paul spent two years of his life in the center of the slave trade. So here he is in Ephesus. He understands the culture completely. He's not writing these words willy-nilly. He knows exactly who he's talking to. And he knows exactly what he's saying. 
And so he writes this letter. And Paul wanted that massive slave population and everyone else to know that their primary and core identity was not that of slavery. That was not their core and primary identity. That someone else had spent more, had, had, had invested more, had, 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 had given more to make sure that they knew and their core identity was secure. And that core identity was that they were children of God first and foremost. Someone paid more for them. Someone paid a greater price than that earthly master to make sure they understood that their core identity was not that of a slave, but of a child of the most high God, the one who created the universe. And that's who he was talking to when he talks about redemption. Last week, we asked the question. We said, we, we, we basically made the statement written more than asked the question. We said that we said that God built his family through adoption. God chose to build his family, our family, through adoption. Adoption isn't isn't free. It's not free. And so God paid for us with something far greater than money. Something so much greater than money. This is what it says. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. When Jesus hung on the cross, you know, we, we talk about the cross and we talk about the resurrection, all about Easter. We have the cross. It's the symbol of who we are. When he hung on the cross, he was paying the cost for our adoption into God's family. He was bringing us into relationship with God. He was drawing us closer to the Father. He was inviting us into the family. That's what he did on the cross. Jesus paid the price, not only for our freedom, but also for our identity. That is who we are. We are children of God. It cost us nothing. We didn't have to work for it. We didn't have to earn anything. We don't have to become more, more lovable. We don't have to become more desirable. I don't have to, I don't have to work my way to God and I become a better person before he's going to accept me. He accepts me the way I am. Then the Holy Spirit changes me from the inside out. I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to become more lovable. I didn't have to become more desirable. All I needed to do was to receive it. It was a gift. It's a free gift that he gave us through Jesus Christ. And he says, all you need to do is receive it. Get it? Good. All right. Now, knowing who you are, knowing who you are really helps you understand yourself and it gives you confidence in yourself because you're not chasing after what everybody else thinks you should be. Doesn't that drive you crazy after a while? You get to a certain age, you're like, holy mackerel, I can't do this anymore. Understanding. But if you don't understand this, you'll do your whole life. You'll be running around in a circle your whole life. But when you understand who you are, When you understand your true identity, it helps you so much in your life because you're not chasing after with this person and that person and this family member and that family member with that employee or whatever else thinks that you should be. You know who you are. Christianity is also not about doing enough for God so that he will finally like me or anybody else will like me. See, I don't find my identity in what other people think. I find my identity in Jesus Christ. 
Your lives would be so much easier if we all understood that. We don't find our identity in what other people think of us. We find our identity in Christ. I was so valuable. You were so valuable to God that he not only made you, but then he bought you. He not only created you, but then he bought you. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 20 reminds us you were bought at a price. You and I were bought at a price. God loved us so much that he invested in each one of us. That means my sin and my mistakes and my failures are no longer counted against me. Isn't that incredible? Those things are no longer counted against me. We don't have to walk around with a a big bag of of, of luggage on our back and all the things we've ever done. Jesus takes that away. I don't have to walk around with my sin. I don't have to walk around with my failures. I don't have to walk around with my mistakes, my hang-ups, my hurts. I don't have to walk around with those things because of what he did for me on the cross. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We have been adopted into his family. That is who we are. That is who I am. That is who you are. If you know Christ, that is who we are. We don't have to be caught up in what everyone else thinks what everyone else tells us to be, who everyone else thinks we should be, how you should look and how you should dress and how you should act and all of those things to get along, to go along. Why? That's not who you are. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. Someone else paid the penalty for you. Jesus Christ took it upon himself That's what happened on the cross. Paul was writing. Paul was writing to a culture of people who were bought and sold. This is when you're reading, when we're reading this again, we have to read it through first century eyes, through people who bought and sold others. But a lot of people who were bought and sold, he's writing to a culture of people who were slaves. And he wanted them to know that someone, someone made you, someone loved you so much that he made you and then he bought you. He bought you. You belong to him. You are his. Do you understand what that means? If we just think about it, I'll try to understand what that means. It means that, that you are God's child and Jesus sacrificed to make sure of it, to make absolutely sure that no one could ever take you away from God. He died for each one of us. We are redeemed through his blood, his blood on the cross. Now, it might bother some people when you read through the book of Ephesians to hear Paul talk about slavery in the church. But it existed. I mean, he walks into a culture that just existed. That's what was going on in that particular culture. He didn't agree with slavery, but it was a reality. It was just there. It it, it was what it was. If you look at Ephesians chapter six, it says this. You'll read this, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. If you find yourself in a challenging situation, that should not change who you are. I want you to think about this. I want you to read it through first century eyes. and I want to apply it to 21st century right now. 
If you find yourself in a very challenging situation, it shouldn't change who you are. Your identity doesn't change with your circumstances, even extreme circumstances. And I know that's difficult. But we're followers of Jesus Christ. We, our identity is children of God. So regardless of our circumstances, that is who we are. No matter where we find ourselves, that is who we are. he, He says that we should reflect Jesus regardless of the situation we find ourselves in. See, this is an eternal perspective, not, a, not an earthly perspective. This is an eternal perspective. Paul is trying to help them understand. You're in circumstances that are overwhelming, but that doesn't change who you are at the core. That doesn't change your identity. This is, this is what he's talking about here. We all know what he's talking. We all understand, if you think about it, this world is unjust in so many ways. Things don't go the way you planned. People bring suffering into your life. But Paul is saying, they may victimize you, but you are not a victim. That's not your identity. Someone may have victimized you in the past, but that's not your identity. You're not a victim. The world wants you to think that. The enemy wants you to think that. But Paul is saying, no, that's a circumstance in your life. That was a situation you had to face. That was an experience you had to endure. That is not your identity. You are not a victim That is not who you are. That is not who God has created you to be. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Get it? Good. Your actions, your actions don't dictate my identity. Just so you know. Someone else's actions toward me, inflicting something upon me, does not change my identity. Paul may not agree with slavery here. But he doesn't want anything to change the core of who we are. Slavery, listen to me, slavery was their circumstance, not their identity. Losing your job is your circumstance, not your identity. Something happening in your life is your circumstance. It is not your identity. You may have been wrong, but that doesn't change who you are. Something may have happened. That doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change who I am. Even if the people in your life treat you poorly, you need to remember this. You need to understand and remember that your primary identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, that he bought you, that you are his, that you are, you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into the family regardless of any other circumstances that go on in your life. So, for example, if your boss maybe isn't worthy of your hard work, Jesus is. We get in our situation, we say, well, I'm going to be a different person when I go to work. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. So you say, well, they, they don't deserve, they don't deserve. Their, you're right. Maybe they don't deserve the best of who you are, but Jesus does. In Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Listen, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. They may not be worthy of the best of you, but Jesus is. And so when you wake up in the morning, you need to give it all that you have, regardless of your circumstances. When I wake up in the morning, regardless of where I'm going, who am I engaged with? They don't change who I am. I am. I reflect Jesus Christ in everything I do and everywhere I go and every circumstances I find myself in. No one else changes who I am. So you're right. They may not. They may not be worthy. Your boss may not be worthy. That other person in your life may not be worthy. But you know what? Your Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. 
And you are to reflect him in everything that you do. This was the message that Paul was sending to them. Knowing who you are changes your behavior and it changes your perspective. When you know who you are and you know who you belong to, it changes your mind. It changes your behavior. It changes your perspective. It changes your outlook on everything. What you think you become. We said that last week, right? What you think you become. If I think, we've heard this before, if I think I'm, I'm, I'm the job, I'm the job. If you think I'm the job or you think that you are the, phys- the physical appearance that you have, if you think that you're the job and that you're the physical appearance, when those, when those things are gone, when you lose them, what do you become? Nothing. When you say, well, my job is my life. That is, that is who I am. That's my identity. Or my appearance is my life. That's who I am. That's my identity. What happens when those things are gone? What do you become? What you think you become. What do you become? Nothing. You are a child of God, first and that is your core and primary identity. You've been adopted into his family. That is your core and primary identity. And Jesus made sure that by redeeming you, by sacrificing himself, by redeeming you through his blood. That is who you are. It doesn't matter what else happens, circumstances in your life. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You sometimes we do what we do because we think the way we think. You and I do what we do because we we have stinking thinking, right? Stinking thinking. We have the wrong way to think about things. And God is saying, it doesn't matter, my friends, how you, where you end up or what circumstances you find yourself in. Life is going to be like this. And you all know if you lived a certain amount of time, you know, life is like this. You're not his child when you're here and not his child when you're here. You're always his child. And regardless of your circumstances, that is how we should live our lives. Paul knew that. Paul knew that. And that is why for three chapters, he says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. That's why he says it for three chapters. Doesn't say a word about do this or do that or do the other thing. He says, remember who you are. What you think you become. Remember who you are. Listen, we have been, I have been adopted. You have been adopted. We have been redeemed. We have been sealed. We are his children. That is who we are. That is our identity. Adopted, redeemed, sealed. That is who we are. That is who I am. When we ask Jesus Christ to come into our lives, that's what happened before. It was different. Before it was a little different. Let me read you Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That is who you were. That is who you were. That is who you were. That's what he's saying. That's who you were. But now this is who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 continues. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, separated from God, you who are once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me close off this sermon with a, with a, a story that I really, 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 really love. It's about a little boy who built a sailboat. He crafted the boat and built the sail and... Then he uniquely painted it. He took it to a lake and he pushed it in, hoping it would sail. And sure enough, a strong breeze filled the little sail and it went rippling along the waves. 
But the wind blew harder and harder, and suddenly, before the little boy knew it, the boat was out of his reach. He was separated. He waded into the, the water to try to grab it, but it was too far gone. As he watched it float away, he hoped that the breeze might change and shift, and he'd be able to get the boat back. It would come sailing back to him. Instead, he watched it go further and further until it was gone. When he went home crying, his mother asked, what's wrong? Didn't it work? He said, yeah, it worked too well. <laughs> Sometime later, a little boy was downtown walking past a secondhand store, probably new to you. There in the window, he saw, he saw the boat. It was unmistakably his. So he went in and he said to the owner, that is my boat. He walked to the window, he picked it up, he started to leave. And the owner said, wait a second, son, wait a minute. That's my boat. I bought it. From someone else. The boy said, no, it's my boat. I made it. I made it. See? And he showed him where he carved his initials. The man said, I'm sorry. If you want it, you have to buy it. The little boy didn't have a lot of money, but he, he worked really hard and he sacrificed and he saved. And finally, one day, he had enough money. He went in and bought the boat. As he left the store holding the boat... Uh, I'm just thinking about redemption, not the, just the story. As he left the store holding the boat close to his heart, he was heard saying, Now you're twice mine. First I made you, and then I bought you. First I made you, and then I bought you. Bow your heads with me, if you will. God, we, we, we sometimes don't know who we are and it, it really messes up our lives and we get confused and it messes up our families because we don't understand how we should be raising our families. We don't even understand who we are. How can we, how can we invest in other people? How can we build into our marriages? How can we build into our children? How can we make strong relationships with other people, Lord? We don't know who we are, but then you come along and tell us, you're my child. I made you. And then I bought you when you were separated from me. I bought you back. You're no longer a slave to this world. You belong to me. You're close to my heart. There may be someone here this morning that you've never asked Christ to come into your life. If that's the case, I just want to tell you and ask you and encourage you to take that step. I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. If you want to know Christ, if you want to be adopted, if you want to be redeemed, if you want to be sealed, you want to be one of his children, he made you already. He's saying, come to me. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to pray this prayer with me. God, thank you. You can say it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for me who shed his blood for me. When I was far away, you brought me near. God, I know I'm a sinner. I don't need a pastor or a Bible to tell me that. I know I am. I know I'm separated from you because of that. God, I thank you that you love me so much that you were willing to sacrifice your own son, that he was willing to shed his blood so that I could be a part of your family, that I could be redeemed, that I could be redeemed. Father, I give my life to you. I offer up myself to you. 
in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd like you to do just one thing for me. Two things, actually. If you could just lift your hand up right now if you prayed that prayer for the first time, that would be great. Just raise your hand up for me. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for this time. I pray that we would just close it out, Lord God, with with just a cry of our hearts to you. In Jesus' name. If you would, why don't you stand up? Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. I want to stand together and I want to I want to claim this truth that we I want to claim it. The truth that we've been talking about. I want to blow the roof off this place. I don't care if you can sing. It doesn't matter. You sing loud. OK, sing loud. Be you're at a, just act like you're at a sporting event. OK, but I want rowdiness. I want people to hear us outside. I want some dust to come down from the ceiling. Let's sing.